It's good to see everybody tonight. We're going to start a time in prayer and then get going in what we're doing. Father, thanks for your love. We always want to thank you for your love, and we always want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for liking us. I want to thank you for just looking out for us. I want to thank you for who you are. And you are faithful. You are true. We ask God that we would receive of you tonight. I pray that your word would really speak to us. And I ask God that we would be open to receive what you want to say and to take action on it by changing our minds or allowing you to work on our hearts. And that, God, you would take some hard places that are in us and they would be softened. Just ask you tonight that something would change in us. I pray, Father, for you to move by your Holy Spirit. I pray that he would have his way in our hearts and lives. I pray he would teach us. I pray he would comfort us. I pray, God, that he would have his way. We've gathered in the name of Jesus. Thanks for being here, Jesus. We give this time to you. In your name, God. Amen. Amen. All right. It's an exciting week because we've received our first question on SpeakPipe. And our question uh, tonight comes from us to us from Kaylin, who uh, lives in Bangkok, Thailand. Yes. So I'm going to go ahead <laughs> and we're going to play our question and then I will attempt to answer it somehow. And if you'd like to help me answer it, you can feel free to do that too. Hi, it's Kaylin. I have a two-parter question from the April 3rd Bible study. And it is, is striving a result of not fully believing God likes us? And how do we break out of patterns of striving? All right. Thank you, Kaylin. I will start it off by just talking about striving a little bit. Uh, in the in the sense, there's a couple senses to to how I'd address striving. Uh, striving to me is is really working against and uh, contending with in, in certain ways. Uh, the first verse I always think of when I hear the word striving is uh, the verse in Genesis in chapter six before the flood, and God is speaking about us. And he, he makes a statement, he says, I will not strive with man forever. And then he declares a limit on our age. And I don't know if you know that's where that occurs, but it says that uh, from now on, that we'll live for 120 years. That's what he said. So I'm planning to live for 120 years. That's, that's my... Uh, that's what I'm going for. But he said that that'll be the age, that's, that's what's going to happen. And then it's only a few verses later where uh, the, the flood happens. And that's the beginning of that. So uh, it's kind of an interesting verse because it's God saying that he won't strive with us forever. And I think it's fairly common that God does strive with us. Some, doesn't he? I mean, if, he, if we were completely obedient all the time and we did everything he wanted us to do and we were completely compliant with his will and his purposes for our lives, uh, there would never be any striving whatsoever. Uh, we would just be going about that business uh, that God has for us and everything would be all right. But uh, it, it's, that's not exactly how it goes. And so there's a natural striving, and I say natural because it's not supernatural, it's just part of who we are. It's part of us as human beings that in the way that we're made, in the way that God created us, we make decisions. God wants us to make decisions. He wants us to figure things out. He's given us a brain to do that. And so we do that. And those of us that came to know Jesus later, after a number of years, uh, we had spent plenty of time figuring things out. We spent plenty of time making decisions on our own. We spent plenty of time uh, going about life the way that we chose to go about life. Now, it may not have turned out the way we wanted it to, but we were actively engaged in that. And so I, I think about it in this way. 
that if we're going to do anything differently as far as striving is concerned, it's going to require a major overhaul in the way that we think. It's going to require us to look at our situation, look at our lives a little bit differently. That's the way I see it. And it may require us to look at God a little bit differently too. Because the bottom line to it is, is that the reason we're striving and the reason that we come at odds against what God has for us or we come at odds with God and his purposes for our life is that we're going about a behavior that we've been going about most of our lives. Of course, if you were a Christian when you were born and, and you were taught the right way, you probably don't strive as much as other people do. But if you were an adult when you came to know Christ, there's probably a bigger something in you a bigger drive in you that that is harder to fight in your life as far as striving is concerned. So, why do we strive? That's the question. The reason we strive, basically, and and I'm going to say this as plainly as I can, and then I'll I'll temper it a little bit after I say it. The reason we strive is because we don't trust God. That's why we strive with Him. Because He'll tell us something, but we'll second-guess it. Or he will instruct us in something, but we'll ignore it. Because it may not be what we thought, or it may not be something that we had come up with. And so because of all the years that we've been making those decisions, all the years that we've been making our own way and and trying to figure things out, it's difficult for us to completely and utterly entrust our lives to somebody else. And so that creates a striving issue. Now, I can easily say that God's worthy of our trust, right? I can easily say that God's never failed. I can say that he's always right. I can say that he's all-powerful. I can say that he's got our best interest in mind. I can say all of those things, but there has to come a point in our own hearts, in our own minds, our own lives, that we actually believe it. And if we can't come to that point, if we can't come to that place, we're going to continue to strive. Now, is it because, as as Caitlin said, she said, is it because we don't really believe God likes us? Well, maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of it. Because if you believe, you don't really believe somebody likes you, do you think they have your best interest in mind? Probably not. If you don't really believe somebody likes you, do you think they're going to take care of you? Probably not. And so trust has to be built. It's not automatic because we're not robots. We're just as God created us, thinking, decision-making, hopefully critically thinking human beings. And trust is built. And so I suppose, you know, why do you trust, or why do children trust their parents starting out? Well, yeah, stick with that idea. It's not really a choice. It's like, what what else would they do? Stick with that idea. Because they don't know anything else. Who takes care of them? at least as far as they can tell. And I'm not talking about quality of care or anything, but who takes care of them? Well, their parents do. And more specifically, in most circumstances, mom does. And and I'm not saying dads don't chip in and feed the baby and change the baby and all that kind of stuff, but for the most part, mom does that. And so a baby develops and is taken care of, hopefully, by his or her mom, changed, washed, fed, maybe dad chipping in every now and then, but there is a, from the time that a baby comes out through the feeding process, the changing process, the bathing process, all of that, all that eye contact, all of that speaking, all of that hearing that voice and all the rest of that, there is over time a trust that's built. And it's such a strong trust, even if the mom is a terrible person, a terrible person, For that child to break away from his mother is an extremely difficult thing to see. Even if it's in their best interest, they won't do it. 
because that's who they know. Right. Right. Go ahead. Right. Right. And I know there's dangerous situations. I know that there's uh, situations where the children are in peril or they're malnourished or whatever it is. And I I get that. Uh, But the the heart of the matter is, and the heart of the child, many times, is toward the mother. Now, how would we, how would we have that same heart toward God? How can that happen? Do you understand the question? Because we're adults now, you know, and we we and I'm going to use this in quotes, but we know better, right? We know better. We're not babies. We've had experiences, and people have hurt us, and people have have been mean to us, and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But how how would it be possible to build a trust with God? That's unshakable. How would you see that? Anybody want to help me on this? How do you try it out? You enter into a relationship. How do you try out your spouse? I mean, what's the what's the next what's the next deep relationship that our culture allows for? I'm not saying it should be the next deep relationship, but what's the next deep relationship that our culture recognizes and allows for? What we call that? Huh? Marriage. marriage. Yeah, marriage. Well, and, and I guess by definition today, the way dating is done is more marriage-like than it ever was in our society. I mean, I never... I, I mean, dating to me growing up was you go out with somebody... But the next week, you may go out with somebody else. It's like, I'm going to the movies with this person. Well, I'll ask her to the movies next week. And I'll go out with the next And you're basically trying people out, you know? Like, do I get along with them? Do I have anything in common? Do they have anything in common with me? Are they interesting? Are they stinky? I mean, I don't know. So I'm going to date some people. I'm going to find out. That's what dating was. Now, I'm giving away my age here, but I'm just telling you, that's what dating was. That's what it involved. And you're, you're young. You're like, you know, 16, 17 years old, and some people are younger than that. It's like, what position are you in to make a decision? This is the person I'm going to be with for the next three years or two years or a year or the rest of my life. What position are we in to do that? I mean, we're in a society where people don't even consider themselves adults until they're 30. That's self-consideration. That's not society telling people they're not adults. It's what, it's what the, the generation has decided. Well, I'm not an adult till I'm 30. I mean, you know, we're on, the kids are on our, our health insurance until their mid-20s, past their mid-20s. I mean, it's, it's like everything's just been extended out. So when are we old enough to make you know, lifelong decisions like that? I don't know. But I wasn't ready when I was 15 years old to decide who I was going to be with for the next year, two, three, four of my life. I could probably tell you, I could probably tell you who I wanted to go to the movies with, though, that week. And I might be able to tell you who it was the next week. Uh, I mean, I was at least, you know, that far along. And so it kind of made sense to me. Why am I talking about this? What I'm talking about this is that dating was brought up because the the way we see it now, which hasn't always been the case. Dating was not like it is now. Marriage is like it is. Going steady. Well, I think it's even beyond going steady. Or married. I mean, it's, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's the place, you know, I have a little girl telling me that someone tells her husband and this other child is her seaweed, is her child. And so they, I mean, that's, they're all like geared up to be the, uh, 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's scary. That's scary. So back to how do we how do we do this? Well, there, I think there's two things that have to happen. One, and I, I'll get off this question now, but one is we have to change our minds. We have to change our minds. And and that is uh, whether or not we've been hurt, whether or not someone's disappointed us, whether or not someone has done us wrong or whatever it is, and, and those things do happen, God is not like that other person. And the second part of that is God is also not like us. Because we're kind of, and depending on who we are, some of us are unfaithful, some of us are are particular, some of us are uh, whatever you want to say. We We have our own shortcomings. And God's not like that either. And and I want if you think about it, we put expectations on God based on our experiences, mainly with other people, uh, starting with our father usually, and ending with whoever hurt us the last. And then the other side of that is we put expectations on God based on us. Like, well, I would never stick around if that happened. Well, that's right. You wouldn't. But you're not God. Well, I would never forgive that if somebody did that to me. That's right. But you're not God. Well, I wouldn't be patient with that. I mean, how can they keep doing that? I mean, you gave them, what, three or four chances? You're going to give them, I wouldn't give them another chance. That's right. Because you're not God. All right, you understand what I'm saying? So we've got this whole, we have a whole lifetime of experience People hurting us or people disappointing us, people not being who we thought they were and all the rest of that kind of stuff, right from our parents right on down the line. And then we've got us. So we've got these two things that are speaking at us saying, well, God must be like one of those. But he's not. He's in a different category. And so somehow we've got to get those expectations off of him and set him in his own category that he's just not like that. He's not like them, and he's not like us. He's something else. He's he's more loving. He's more forgiving. He's more patient. He's more whatever it is. And you know, I mean, you just go right down a list at whatever the shortcomings were. He's more. You guys see the the movie uh, The Shack? I right, read the book. Yeah. Just the funny part of that movie is uh, the the woman that plays the father <laughs> in the movie uh, is uh, she she keeps using a statement. She's like, "Well, I am particularly fond of you," and then somebody else's name will come up. Well, I'm particularly fond of him. And she's listening to a certain kind of music. He's like, this is by so-and-so. I'm particularly fond of him. So finally, the guy catches on uh, that she's talking to, the main character there. He catches on. He's like, is there anyone that you're not particularly fond of? And she thinks to herself, no, I can't think of anybody. <laughs> Just particularly fond of everyone, each person. And so, and, and so, but that's so unlike us. Only an infinite being could be particularly fond of each person. That's the only way that could possibly happen. Hmm. So he's not like us. He's not like the people around us. So we got to change our minds about that. And then comes the next part. Somebody said, you got to try it out. You just got to give him a chance and see what happens. And anytime you catch yourself striving... Stop. And I know that, and I, I don't know any other way to say that, is that you catch yourself doing it, and you stop. For me to change behaviors in my life, I have to notice when I'm doing it and make a decision not to do that anymore. Unless God somehow changes something in me and I just never do it again, which that's happened too. There's been supernatural moments in my life where God would just change the way I see things or God would change the way, whatever. He changed something inside of me and I never did that again. There's been those things, major things in my life where that's happened. But there's been plenty more things in my life where I have to make a decision 
And then I have to notice when I'm falling into that behavior or I'm starting down that road and stop myself from doing it. That's a lot more common than the other one. So that requires a self-awareness. And that's okay. Having a self-awareness like that. That's good. All right, anybody want to add anything to that? Anybody want to add anything to that? Thank you. (laughs) All right, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All right, thanks for reading that, Don. Uh, What we see here is God speaking to his people and Something that doesn't come through all the time, the way we read the scriptures or maybe even in the translation of some of the words and how they come across is there's a certain tenderness to this that God is speaking to his people, but he's addressing areas of their lives where they're weak or where they're in need. And he's specifically addressing a captive people in the sense that these are the people that had been taken away, that were... Uh, captives in a land that wasn't their own. And so you read all of the things he talks about there, about not being afraid, he's with them, uh, not being terrified or dismayed, and all of those things. Well, those would be the natural reactions to being carried away from your home. And they were taken away. So everything they had was gone. Uh, Some of the families had been split up. People that they knew were no longer with them. They were no longer with the people that they trusted. They were brought into another land. They were made to work in that land. And it was far away. And they were held there against their will. And so that that's the kind of situation where people generally are dismayed. That's the kind of situation where people generally are afraid. And here you have God talking to them, but not in a... He wasn't correcting them. He wasn't telling him, well, you shouldn't feel this way. But what he was trying to say is is that he is there. That even in the midst of their issues, even in the midst of their problems, even in the midst of their fear, the midst of their weakness, everything that was described in this verse here, he's with them. And he wants them to know that. And so there's certain tenderness to that. And, And so we get the idea, it's like, well, if you're weak, well, God says he can be strong. If you're lonely, uh, he, he talks about being our friend or closer to us than a brother. If we're falling, he's willing to uphold us. And so we have some assurances in there uh, of who God is and of what he has for us in our lives. Somebody look up Proverbs 18.24. Just keep your finger in Isaiah. We're going to stay there, but I have some other verses. Uh, Proverbs 18.24. All right, that's God speaking about himself, or, or the, the writer of Proverbs speaking about God. And the what he's trying to encourage his people to do here is to stay humble and not try to do it themselves. In other words, what we're just talking about, don't strive. And he's trying to encourage them not to strive. He's trying to encourage them to relax, to rest, to find a certain amount of grace that he's willing to pour out into their situation. And so whatever their point of need, the weakness, the the loneliness, the, the falling, whatever it would be, he's, he's trying to answer that. And he's trying to assure them and he's trying to put forth a word to them that it's okay and that they don't have to fix it themselves. A lot of what you read in the Old Testament about God's people and when they run into trouble is when they try to do things and fix things themselves. I know things in my life when I try to fix it, like especially the big things, end up making it worse a lot of times. And there's just those times in my life where 
uh, if I really took a hard look at those kind of decisions, and I took a really hard look at what those kind of decisions are and what they mean, and, and really what the result was, I'd probably, if I could do it in such a way that it was really something objective, I probably wouldn't try to strive as much as I do. Because the end result of the striving, as I am able to objectively look at some of the things where I know that I was striving, really isn't the result I was looking for at all. It ended up putting me in a compromised situation. It ended up putting me in a situation I really didn't want to be in. Or a worse situation than when I started. I mean, there are those times it does work out. But if I really looked at it, and I looked at all those times that I can turn to, that I can look at and all that, it doesn't work out a lot of times either. And so I, I get put in a situation where I need to make a different decision, and that's where he has them. But he's not trying to badger them into a different decision. He's tenderly speaking to them and saying, I'll take care of you. Don't strive. And so he starts off, he says, don't be afraid. Uh, and to the people he's speaking to there is also the words he gives to us is that they're chosen. He says that they're dear to him and that he's fond of them. And as we were just talking about, particularly fond of them. And he certainly was and he certainly is. Because everything I just said about them is also us is that we're chosen. He is, he, you know, we're dear to him and he's particularly fond of us. You know, however you want to understand that, there's a, there's a love there and there's, a, there's more. There's a support for us. There's a preserving factor over our life. God preserves. God orders. God overrules things that maybe you're coming against us. You know, how many times there's been something that seems impossible that God has overruled? I don't know. There's been financial situations where that's happened. Uh, the first lesson I learned about finances had to do with, I was a college student, and we were bringing in a band, a big-time band. It was a Christian band on our campus. Our campus wasn't a Christian campus, but uh, we wanted, We just really thought, okay, we believe that God wanted to have these guys come in. Their, their price was high, and they had to have a deposit and all this other stuff, and they had catering needs. And I'd never read a, a contract before like that. You know, I was just I was 19 years old. And the contract involves like all these things about particular food that they want to eat before the show, particular food they need to eat. Uh, yeah, only brown M and M's. Yeah, no, it wasn't that bad, but it was it was pretty bad. It was pretty overwhelming for a nineteen year old kid, you know, that I I just had never dealt with it. And so there was all of that. Then there was promotions. There were ticket sales. They were getting tickets printed, even. Yeah, there were all these different things. How do you sell the tickets? I mean, just stuff I'd never even thought of before. And so there were all these different factors, all these different things. And, and as soon as I looked at it and, and the, began to look at the details, I got completely overwhelmed. I mean, just completely overwhelmed. And the two guys that were helping me do it were no help at all. I mean, they were, they were worse than me, overwhelmed. And we were three of the laziest guys around, I think. And, and all of a sudden, I'm, I've got all of this stuff to do and stuff I don't even know or even understand to do. And uh, there just came a point where it was either I was going to just give up and just let it go and, and just talk, cancel it, or we were actually just going to move forward in it and I was going to have to trust God to get things done. And I just reached that point where I said, I'm not going to cancel it, so I just really got to just relax. Relax into what I'm doing. And not strive, and not try to make something happen, but to just move with what is happening. And so I was able to do that, and miraculously things got done. Miraculously, people showed up. Miraculously, we didn't lose money. Miraculously, we were able to pay the band miraculously we were able to feed them the special chicken they wanted and to feed them afterwards what they needed and to put them up in the hotel that they wanted to be put up in and to do everything that needed to be done and provide them with whatever it was they were looking for. We were able to do all of that. We printed tickets. We sold tickets. We were advertised on the radio. We got free advertising on Christian radio. We had people drive from Buffalo to come to the show. All these different things happened. It was all great. 
But the point of what I'm trying to make is it taught me something early on. And I, I was just barely a Christian. What it taught me was is that I didn't need to strive to make it happen. But I could find rest even in something that seemed overwhelmingly complicated to me. Now, I'm sure if I saw the same contract now, it would be not overwhelming. Because thinking back to it is a fairly simple thing compared to some of the things I've seen since then. But in the moment and at the time, it was more than I could bear. And as you get older, you kind of think differently. Things that would have overwhelmed you years ago may not overwhelm you now anymore. Things that you couldn't figure out or things that seemed impossible, maybe just don't seem that impossible anymore. I don't know. But there is a certain amount of maturity that takes place in us naturally. But if we're with God, there's a supernatural maturity that takes place, a spiritual maturity that takes place also, where we've learned to trust the one that we serve and the one that loves us and the one that wants to take care of us if we'll allow him. And so as we learn to trust him and as we learn to rely on him, we learn to lean on him, the striving becomes less and less of an issue. At least that's the way it should be. And so he says to him, he says, don't be afraid. He's our supporter. He preserves us. He orders things. He overrules things. And he gives us the reason not to be afraid. He says, I'm with you. That's right in the verse. That's the reason. You don't need to be afraid. So we look at Romans 8.31, if you would. Anybody? Okay, thanks for reading that. If God is for us, who can be against us? He's with us. And he's for us. At least according to the Apostle Paul. And so we begin to understand that we live in a place where we're protected and we're taken care of. Now, that verse, never misunderstand that verse. Uh, you have your opinions on things. That doesn't mean God agrees with you. All right, that's not what that verse means. And certainly not. All right. Even if even if everybody that you know who's a Christian believes something, that doesn't mean God agrees with it. All right. It could be he believes or he thinks something completely different than what we've all decided. And so I just want to make that clear because I think sometimes you you can look at a verse like that and think, well, then you know everything I think should come to pass. Well, that's not true. Are you looking at that verse? You think, well, then everything that happens in the world should benefit who the church. That's not true either. None of that's true. God has his purposes and his plans. It has nothing to do with what we think necessarily. As we align ourselves more into his will and his purposes, maybe we begin to understand a little bit more about that, but maybe not. Because it's strong in us to be self-preserving, at least some of us. It's strong in us to, to look out for our own interests. And so when that mixes with what we think God is saying, that gets all messed up. You know, there's a lot of bitter people in the world because God didn't do what they told him to do. I never realized it was that big an issue. Because that seems really self, uh, self-proclaiming self in a sense that that doesn't work. It seems self-evident that doesn't work. Because, I mean, just because we think something or we look at something, we decide that that's what's best and it doesn't happen, we're going to get mad at God for that? Because he didn't meet our expectation? Well, we don't meet his expectation all the time. He's not mad at us. But we're going to be mad at him. Because he didn't do what we told him. Well, and that's, and that's what I, that, you know, I have a teaching, an old, old teaching, is that God is not our circus dog. He does not do what we tell him to do. Yeah. So 
Right. Yeah, where do you get that? <laughs> you see, that's, that's what I'm wondering. Like, where would that come from? Because it, it seems to me to be self-evident that that's not just because he says that doesn't mean it's true. Right. Yeah, I can remember. Uh, I remember being on. You know, when I do campus ministry stuff, I would uh, I would take questions, and every now and then there'd be one of those questions that would come up. Well, if God's real, then why does this happen, or why does that happen? And the standard answer to that's always, well, you know, man is sinful; he has his free will, and all the rest of that stuff. And, and I can remember one night in particular. I just that was not the first thing that came into my head. Even though that's the standard answer, I looked at the girl that asked it, and I said, "Well, if you were God." And I meant it, too. I said, well, if you were God, put yourself in his shoes, would you do things differently? Because she just asked me something about, like, you know, if God was real, why do people kill each other? Or something like that. Or why is there war? I said, so if you were God, would there be no war? And she's like, hmm. Yeah, I suppose not. I wouldn't have any war. I'm like, well, there you go. There you go. She's like, what? I'm like, you're smarter than God. So I wouldn't believe in God either if I was smarter than him. I don't blame you. You're doing the right thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and, and the idea behind that, and I assume that her being a student would be able to figure it out, is that, well, okay, just because you think something doesn't mean it's true or right or God's thought on the matter. I don't know God's thought on the matter. I can't answer that question. I'm not trying to, though. And I'm not bitter about it. So that answer wasn't for me. That was for her. And it was rude, and I'm okay with that. All right? And I was. I was okay with it, and she got all mad about it, and uh, and I don't know what happened. She got all mad about it, and I can't remember why. I think she's... I think she stayed, but I think she was obviously mad about it. And then uh, it turned out she ended up coming into a place where she entered a relationship with God. But it was weeks or a month later or something like that. But she had to think about it for a few minutes or days, weeks, whatever it was. And, but God, by his grace, redeemed that. The point of all of that and, and really the only point I'm trying to make with that is that God is for us in the sense he's looking out for us and he wants the best for us. And he assures us that he'll take care of us. That's what we can understand from that. Not that he agrees with us. Don't get that from that. But he does want the best for us. And he does love us. And so the next part of it, he says, don't be terrified or dismayed. That's in the verse also. The The words in there are, the literal words in there are, and it, it's two parts to it. The literal words in there is, are, do not be broken in spirit. Do not be broken in spirit. It literally, the word picture of that is, don't anxiously look around at each other in dismay. That's the word picture. And you know how people do that when something bad's happening and they look at each other in dismay? Yeah, like, well, this is saying don't do that. Don't be broken in your spirit. And that's why he's encouraging these people that either were being led into captivity or were already captives. He's saying don't be broken in your spirit. Don't look around at each other in dismay. Don't do it. And then, he, and then he, and, and really, all that means is stay calm, stay calm. You don't have to fear, and you don't have to live in fear of your foes. And I know we have foes. I know we have enemies. I know that. You know, our enemies, according to the scriptures, are spiritual, but we have enemies. And you don't have to live in fear of that. I'm always, uh, I'm always kind of fascinated with people who live in fear of the devil. Really? 
and it, and I and I know I, I see people that are like that. We had I had opportunities where uh, I was on campuses. There was one in particular that had clubs on campus that worship the devil. I can't remember the name of the club, but the one of their um, their advisor. Uh, I can remember the guy. His name was Jeffrey something. But he was really into that, and so he had started a club on campus, which it was a state school, so everybody's inclusive. I mean, they're not going to say no. And and just dealing with some of the kids that would come out of that or some of the kids that were touched by that somehow, either through their friends or through people that they met or whatever, and just the fear level of it. And I, and I suppose in a superstitious way I could kind of understand that or in a way that maybe people just don't understand it or understand, I guess, who we are or, or who Christ has made us to be, I suppose. But when I'm dealing with Christians or people that should know better, I'm always kind of fascinated by that. Like, what is the seed of that kind of fear in us? I mean, I'm a very spiritual person. I always have been. Before I was a Christian, I was very spiritual. I grew up as a kid. I saw visions. I had dreams. Uh, animals, beasts, whatever. I mean, uh, I had opportunities where uh, my mother had some uh, interest in witchcraft. And so I experienced some of that. But always around spiritual stuff. Always. I had appearances uh, when I was a kid. I, I don't usually go into all this, but all these things happened, and over some course of time, it just didn't seem scary anymore. I don't know what it was. Sounds, appearances, faces, whatever. So we have someone, you know, we have God speaking to us. He's like, stay calm and don't fear. So we look at Psalm 27, I'm going to guess that's an 11, it might be a 1. Psalm 27, it's either 1 or 11, just read the one that makes sense. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? What's a stronghold? It's a fortress. Yeah. So he's our light, our salvation. Who am I going to fear? He's a stronghold in my life. In other words, he's the fortress we live in. Why are we going to be afraid? And 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 so he's trying to encourage us toward that against our whatever our initial reaction of our heart is. That there's more assurance than just having to live in fear. I mean, living like a prey animal, that's terrible. It's just terrible. Prey animals have eyes on the sides of their heads. Alright? So they can see in a, in a wider, they have a wider periphery. And so they can see things coming at them a little sooner so they can run sooner. Where are our eyes? I mean, most of us. Straight ahead. Alright? We have not been designed to be prey animals. All right? Yes. So he, he declares, he's like, don't be nervous. Don't stay calm. Don't fear your foe. He says, I am God. That's his response. I'm God. I, I preserve, I strengthen, I protect. All power has been given to him, and he gives us a pledge. And so as we were saying before when it comes to striving, that a new expectation has to be built somehow in us. Some kind of a new expectation about God's role in our life and what He's doing. Because we might have an expectation of what? We're going to get hurt again? We're going to have an expectation that what's going to happen? Whatever has happened. Again, where do we get our expectations from? Where do we get our ideas from? Our experiences and ourselves. Your attitude, your thoughts on the matter, who you are. Add that to your experiences 
and all of a sudden you come up with some kind of weird definition of God and how he deals with us. But that's not who he is. It's just not who he is. So we look at Hebrews 13.5. And I do want to say, if you're broken in spirit, I'm not picking on you. Because sometimes there's a breaking of spirit in us. And it it could be from a a bunch of different circumstances. It could be a a bunch of different things that happen in our life. And I'm not making fun of that, and I'm not trying to make light of that at all. And all I can say, which I know it doesn't help very much if you are broken in spirit, is that there is healing. We serve a God that wants to heal that. We serve a God that wants to restore you. And that may not mean anything to you right now. But I just want to speak those words. That He does heal. He wants to heal. And He wants to restore you. And I'll pray for you at the end. Hebrews 13, 5. Does that make sense? Can I read that? All right. Why why do you think you mentioned money there? What's money? We really trust money, don't we? And it's not unique to us. I mean the generation that Jesus was speaking to generation that the apostle was writing to, I mean, they had the same issue. It's, it's not unique to any time frame, but it's us. It's people. We trust in wealth. We trust in money. We trust in material possessions. Those things that we really trust in. It's something you can, at least still, at least for a while, you can kind of hold it and look at it and you can use it for things that you want to use it for and all that. And I'm not ripping on money at all. I'm just saying that it's mentioned in this verse for a reason. And so you got the idea about money. Then you have the idea about contentment, being content with what you have. And then he goes on to speak, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It's all right. It's all right. And I find it interesting that God keeps doing that through the scriptures. It's like, He'll tell us something, like, don't trust in that, or, or don't worry about that, or, or don't be, you know, living, calm, stay calm, or don't fear your foes, or whatever, but he, but he constantly answers it back, well, I'm, I'm God, or I'm with you, or I care about you, or I love you. And so it's not just saying, don't do that, it's like, here's, I'm with you, it's okay. It's okay. And see, that's the tenderness of it. That is the tenderness of it. As a parent, I wish I'd have done that with my kids. Every single time, I had to yell at them and say, don't touch that. They had to put their hand up on the stove or something. Don't touch that. That I could have also said in the same breath, I really love you and I'd hate to see you hurt. Do you see what I'm saying? Because you can tell you can tell someone not to do something, and, and in your heart, it may be you're looking out for them and you want the best for them, but if it comes out the wrong way, especially with certain age groups, what's it gonna what's it gonna sound like? Telling me what to do, right? People don't like that. And if you have a bad view of who God is anyway, right? And and all you're hearing is don't do this, don't do that. Are you thinking, wow, he must really love me and care about me to make sure I'm not hurting myself? Are you thinking, ah, he just wants to control my life? You see, it's, it's, it's a, there's a part of that is just not understanding God in his heart. And that, and that's really what I'm hoping to get across here is that there is a tenderness to this and there is a care and there is a concern and there's a God that really wants the best for us. He said, he said he'd make us strong. So that anything that comes our way, that we can bear it. 
Interesting a little language tip on this where it says that I make you strong. The way the tense that that's in is that it just shows a determination by God to continually make us strong. It's not I'm going to make you strong and it's not I made you strong. It's that I am making you strong. And there's a determination that is there and the tense is even used in that that this is something God is going to keep doing. He is doing and he's going to continue doing. He's going to make us strong. Why? So that anything that comes our way, we can bear it. He's not saying nothing bad's going to come our way because it does. He's not saying that everything that comes our way, we're going to understand it because we're not. He's not saying that it's going to be easy. He's not saying that he's going to spare us of everything that's going to come our way. But he does say he will continue and he continues, continues, continues to make us strong so that we'll be able to bear it. If our lives never had any adversity, where does growth come from? Where does it come from? Donuts. No. They're even talking about, like, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and this is going to be weird and geeky or something, but they're talking about foods and how if when foods are stressed, like, for example, um, grapes, <clears throat> if they're growing in a vineyard and they're experiencing drought or they're experiencing <clears throat> or they grow in extra cold weather or something and they're being stressed, they produce more of the good stuff that grapes produce, like antioxidants or whatever it is that comes out of grapes. And this is the part that's not geeky because I can't remember exactly what they said. Because there was something to do with polyphenols and antioxidants and all kinds of other stuff that I couldn't even tell you. But the part I got out of it was even in the food, like with food, like grapes or apples or whatever it is, the more stress that they experience, the better they are for us. They produce more good stuff. So if that's true in the plant kingdom, and and I don't know that it necessarily would uh, carry over, but I think it does, that stresses in, in those types of ways as far as facing them make us stronger. I mean, what's lifting weights? Yeah. What's running? What's exercise? I mean, Adam, you you run seventy miles a week. Why? Because it pays for school. <laughs> and and the reason it pays for school is that you can run you run seventy miles a week, so you can run one mile really fast, right? Yeah, or sixteen hundred meters or whatever it is. Yeah. So it takes seventy miles of running to prepare you and to get you in the shape you need to be in to run one mile really fast. Wow. Way to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so he's making us strong. And when we're facing whatever we're facing, he's making us strong. When we're going through whatever we're going through, he's making us strong. That's what he does. He says he'll help us. He tells us he'll take good care of us. And there's a, a phrase used there. And I'm going to finish up. But it says his right hand of righteousness. I'm like, what is that? His right hand of righteousness. Is there something righteous in his right hand? Yeah. Uh, it, it basically means that he's faithful and he's reliable. That's what it means. He's faithful, he's reliable, and what I want to leave you with is this thought. He is always looking out for our best interests. Always. This requires a change of thought on our part, though. Because it, we, we can't... The, the idea behind it is, is that if we were... Let's say that uh, we were looking out for our children's best interests. Now, some parents have the belief 
that the way that they do that is to make sure nothing bad or no adverse situation ever occurs in the life of their child, and that's how you're going to be looking out for their best interests. Well, sometimes adversity is looking out for their best interests. Sometimes allowing for a child to try something and fail is good for them. And maybe I'm giving away my age again, but I really believe that. I really believe that. And I've raised two, well, one and a half, almost two, one and three quarters. I mean, they're not 30 yet, but I, I consider it, you know, kind of moving along. But there are always those things in their life that I would allow to happen. Even though I saw this is not going to end well. But that's okay. Because not everything in life ends well. And, and I think that uh, we had a more, a more general understanding of that in years gone by than we do now. And maybe that's why there's more of this judgment. Because in years gone by, we would, we would think about, it's like, well, my, I remember my parents, my grandparents, when I was in their house, I mean, I, got, I went out and got tore up every day just about. How? Jumping bicycles over garbage cans and <laughs> playing football and playing tag in the dark and, and uh, I mean, just ripping my legs. And I, I got scars from then, from when I was a kid. And you know what? I would never trade that, ever. I climbed trees. You know what happens when you climb trees sometimes? You fall out. That's right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's what happens. And and I was allowed to do that. And it wasn't even considered to be, you know, negligent or anything. That's just what kids did. We were all out there together doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're still here, and and that's the case. And, and so uh, we, I've done much dumber things since, but I mean it's true that that did happen, and many times, yeah, on purpose, yeah. And and so those kind of things are just you know they're, they're 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 the way we were raised, but I don't know kids are raised that way anymore. And so then if if then if we believe that God looking out for our best interest is to keep us from falling down, then every time we fall we're going to curse God and die, right? If we think it's God's uh, job to make sure we never touch a, a hot pot so we don't learn that lesson, well, he shouldn't have let me touch that. We just curse God and die, right? Well, that's not really how life works. I mean, I'll, I'll take care of my kid when he's hurt. And I'll help him. And I'll even tell him, I don't think that's a good idea. But if he's going to do it anyway, my thought is, well, he probably won't do that again. Right. And I and I get yeah. I we could all probably any of us share some stories about God's preserving our life, our lives. Yeah. Right. Right. I've probably been in fifteen car accidents, motorcycle accidents. You know, whatever. I'm still alive. And, 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 you know, a lot of that, I believe God has something to do with that. I really do. He is especially fond of me, right? But, so, but God's looking out for our best interests. And, and that's the idea I want to leave you with. Not that it's always going to be 
awesome. Or not that it's always going to go our way. Or not that we're never going to get hurt. Or not that it's always going to be the way we thought it was going to be. Not that it was going to be what we thought and how it was going to turn out. But he's always looking out for the best for us. And that becomes simply a matter of trust. And again, how do you do trust? You start with a relationship and you see where it goes. All right. All right, any other comments? I got like a minute. But I can, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh huh. Good. <laughs> Good. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that we just drift through and see what happens, but I'm also saying we don't, we don't plan everything out and, and micromanage everything to the point that we never really live either. Uh, and I think there's a real balance in our lives of living, and we need to do that. And if it, that means that sometimes we don't know where we're going or what we're doing, that's okay. All right, that's okay. I'd rather live, I mean really live, than to have everything planned out for the next 10 years. Or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60. Let me ask you a question. I mean, you look in the scriptures, and I'll just do this real quick, but you look in the scriptures, Jesus called the apostles, he called the disciples. Some of them were fishermen. One of them was a tax collector. One was a zealot. They, they had all these different jobs. They were all doing something. All of them were. But he called them, and the fishermen, we get an example of that. They dropped their nets, and they followed after him. The tax collector, he left tax collecting, threw a big party, followed him. So, what was what were their goals? Didn't matter um, because they were willing to drop whatever they were doing to follow after him. All right, do you see what I'm saying? And and what I'm trying to get at with that is that I I think that we live in a generation, we live in a, a society that just really overplans everything because we're scared, and there's a certain amount of of uh, comfort in over-planning for some people. And and we don't need to live like that. We don't need to live scared. I've been in enough cultures of the world to know that not everybody in the world lives like we do. I've been in enough places, and I've been friends with enough people that grew up in, in places that are not like this at all, where they don't feel the need to justify their existence with a 10-year plan or a 5-year plan. They're just living this is living. And as far as I'm concerned, that's good enough. At least to me. So. All right, thanks for that. Let's pray. Father, I say thanks for uh, loving us, and I say thank you for protecting us. I say thank you that we have a stronghold. I say thank you that we have a God who is making us strong. I say thank you that, God, you are uh, constantly and always looking out for us and for our best interests. God, I pray that you would really begin a, a trust in us toward that. I pray that a seed of trust would begin to grow in our hearts and in our lives, that we could be brought into a place where that makes more and more sense in our life, where you're faithful and you're true and and, and we can always count on you, that you not only proclaim it, but you also pledge it, and your pledge is good. 
And so, God, I ask that that seed of faith would begin to grow in us, that seed of trust would begin to grow in us, so that, God, we could begin to relax into, we could begin to rest into uh, the life, living, what you have for us. That we wouldn't be so busy judging you that we could actually love you and trust you. So let that grow in us, God. I pray for those that are brokenhearted tonight, that are broken in spirit. I ask you, God, for your healing over them. I pray that you would send a mending work into their spirit, that the, the oil, the balm, would be poured over their spirits. And where there are hurts and there's holes and there's wounds, God, that there would be a healing and a comfort over that. And so, God, I pray a mending to spirits tonight. I pray a mending to hearts tonight. And for your comfort to be all over it, all over them. God, thank you for loving us continually. Thanks. And thanks for being especially fond of me, of each of us tonight. pray we got enough sense to love you back. For ask it in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming. We'll see you again.